Before we begin our lesson tonight, I will remind you what we're trying to do on Sunday nights for a few weeks, and several of you have asked me about preaching on some of these topics. We are going to address tonight one of the local issues as well as the others. Last time, on two weeks ago tonight, we discussed the issue of alcohol and what the Bible teaches on the subject, and as we are facing that in our local community, particularly in the city of McMinnville with our board of mayor and aldermen. But we also in the state of Tennessee are facing another moral issue that we're going to address tonight. And then Lord willing, beginning next Sunday night, we're going to address some false teaching being done by brethren in our area. And it's not necessarily to address personalities, it's to address what the Bible teaches and to take what is being taught and compare it to God's Word and make sure that we are teaching and practicing what is true. Tonight, we're going to address the subject of abortion. And I titled it, God Made Me, Would You Save Me? And I think about that little child who's got his thumb in his mouth about how precious that little child is And I also think about how many of them have been sent into eternity by being killed by their mother and or their father. How sad that might be. But you know, when you think about it, the sins of man seem to become more heinous all the time. And what I mean by that is there's some things that are wrong, but the impact of them may not be as great as other sins. It seems as if man is becoming even more barbaric and more cruel. We have seen those who follow the religion of Islam cutting off the heads of Americans. And the outrage when you have two or three people who have had their heads severed in that foreign country by the group of people called ISIS. And yet, even as of today, there are Not only hundreds, not only thousands, but millions who are being torn apart limb by limb from their mother's womb and are being suctioned out and treated as if they're nothing more than garbage. And yet some seem to feel no sense of shame and no embarrassment. In the book of Jeremiah, he said, Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. What happened to these people had there had become so desensitized to sin it didn't bother them anymore. Paul would write in Ephesians 4 and verse 19, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. People who have no longer any feeling whatsoever. How could a mother, how could a doctor, one who is promoting health and life, take the life of such an innocent child? And yet we read in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2, he said, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. There are people whose consciences no longer seem to feel But modern society has literally become sick with sin. We can see it in states like Colorado where they're taking drugs and legalizing them and they're they're promoting them and children are getting involved into them. 
And we can see abortion just on every corner, it seems. The degeneration of morals is resulting in the destruction of our society. There was a time not too many years ago when people would go to their homes and wouldn't even lock their doors because they were not fearful for their neighbors. And yet now, not only do we have locks on our doors, we have alarm systems, things to warn us because our society is getting worse and worse. Hosea chapter 7 and verse 9 says, Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. It seems as if our leaders are oblivious to the degradation of our society. In Isaiah 57 and verse 1, The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. The fact that righteousness is leaving our land and people no longer have the respect that they once had is something that seems that no one is taking to heart. But yet I remind you that this is not new. I remind you that if you want to look at the cruelty of man, you can see it in many people in the Bible and you can even see the lack of respect for the unborn In Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, that which is is what will be. That which is done is what will be done, and there's no new thing under the sun. But here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to talk about worldly wisdom, the words of divine wisdom, and then finally to ask the question, what can one do? And that's a play on words, and you'll understand more in just a few minutes. If I want to understand the world, I have to understand how the world thinks. I have to understand who they are. I have to understand where they're coming from. And there are two primary organizations that promote abortion in the United States. The first one is abbreviated NARAL, N-A-R-A-L, which is the National Abortion Rights Action League. But even more dominant is that of Planned Parenthood. And if there was ever a misnomer for an organization, Planned Parenthood is truly a misnomer. For instance, if you look at Planned Parenthood, and I could literally spend a lot of time explaining to you the background of this godless organization. These people who have no respect for God, nor man, nor children. Let me just give you a few details that might be helpful for you. In 2012, they performed, Planned Parenthood, 327,166 abortions. Not only that, they provided over 1.5 million morning-after pills. That is, those abortions that were caused by taking a pill. You see, the, the truth is, they're in the killing business. Well, let me tell you something else you might not know. Last year, they earned $1.3 billion in profit from that. With 45% of it, that's $540 million in taxpayer funding. That may not be something that everybody knows and understands, but uh, everybody keeps saying, oh, they're not going to pay for it out of government funds. Yes, they are paying for it out of government funds. And if something is not done here in Tennessee, it will not be long before a judge will order the state 
to start paying for abortions. Now, you might think, well, they're saying Planned Parenthood would mean that they would perform abortions and they would also refer people to adoption agencies. While they performed hundreds of thousands of abortions and referred tens of thousands more abortions, they only made 2,197 referrals for adoption. They're not in the life-saving business. They're in the baby-killing business. If you listen to them and you read their arguments, here's what they're going to say. They'll say laws don't stop abortions. They only make it less safe. Well, I beg to differ. If you look prior to 1973 when abortions were illegal in our country, yes, there were some, but there became an explosion after 1973 with Roe v. Wade because it became accessible some of these leaders don't seem to understand that when you make liquor more accessible, there will be more people drinking liquor. When you make abortions easier to get and you specially pay for it, there will be more people who will do that. They really hate religious groups. They say religious foundations should not be the basis of our laws. And they'll point out, they'll say that we're supposed to have freedom of religion. But I'd suggest to you that the basis of all our laws is based upon the principles that come from God. Whether it is respect for life or it comes to murder, respect for the harm of another individual, would they also argue that rape would be okay? Where does it come from when a man respects the life of another woman that he would not force her to do that which she does not want to do? If the basis of life is I get to make my own decisions, I get to make my own calls, why would not a rapist be able to argue that's simply what I want to do? They say most people against abortion will never become pregnant. And that's to point out and say that people like myself who are males will never become pregnant and so we really have no interest in the subject at all. But I beg to differ. Every one of us here tonight that are males had a mother. I'm thankful I had a godly mother. I'm thankful that I had a mother who brought me into this world and wanted me. And yes, I do have, as the old phrase says, a dog in the hunt. They would say women who are raped or the victims of incest should not be forced to carry that burden. Well, should the child be forced to die because of your convenience? They say a free society should not invade the privacy of a woman's body. We're not worried about the woman's body. We're worried about the body of the child. It's not a woman's body when it is the child that is killed. Her body is left. But the child is distinct. It has its own distinct DNA. The child many times can even be of a different gender. It's not the same person. It's a child. But they'd suggest, well, this is a medical decision, not a moral one. So if anything is practiced by a doctor or uh, some sort of a medical professional, does that make it out into another field? What if, for instance, a doctor wants to perform doctor-assisted suicide? Well, they'd say that's okay too. What if a doctor wants to experiment on you? You remember Adolf Hitler? 
Back during World War II, he had many doctors who worked for him. They would try things like putting acid in people's eyes to see what kind of damage it would do. Does that mean then it's a, a medical decision and not a moral one? A merciful society should not force terrible handicaps upon children. I had no idea when I was preparing this lesson what would occur this past week. Brother Don Griffith and I attended the funeral for Courtney Andrews this past Tuesday. Courtney was 33 years of age and passed from this life. She was born with spina bifida. And I'm sure that those people in Planned Parenthood would have said, just go ahead and abort her. She's a damaged child. But I have you know, Courtney was a very precious little girl. Not only was Courtney a very uh, independent young lady, she earned her bachelor's degree. She earns her master, earned her master's degree. She was a teacher at church. And if you go and talk to Don's sister, Wanda Andrews, and her husband, Jerry, you'll find out she was a very precious person, very worthy of living. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of statistics. The Guttenmacher Institute published the latest ones they have from 2011. And they say that right now we have 1.1 million abortions annually in the United States. 16,720 are from the state of Tennessee, from 14 providers. Here's what I found interesting. In Tennessee, 113,900 pregnancies took place. 70% of those resulted in live births. 15% were induced abortions. 15%. Do you realize that that has, for every 20 children that's born here in this congregation, that there's three that would have been killed? That's an embarrassing statistic for our state. Let me tell you what Tennessee's Yes on One briefly is about. And I'm not going to go into the details. If you want many more details, Sister Jean Ware is a... In the organization, I encourage you to talk with her. She'll provide you with literature. She'll provide you with information. But let me just briefly tell you that on September the 15th, in the year 2000, the Tennessee Supreme Court ruled that our Constitution provided the fundamental right for an abortion and invalidated most of the restrictions at that time. They were saying that our Constitution did not guarantee the life of these children. What that did was made us an abortion destination because there are so few restrictions, especially considering all the states that border us. People started coming to Tennessee and 23.6% of the abortions performed here in Tennessee come from people outside our state. We're a magnet because it's so easy to get an abortion in the state of Tennessee. What amendment does, yes on one, is to restore some of the protections. It allows us to have our legislator to do as they have done in the past, to vote a number of restrictions to make it more difficult to get an abortion. Some will ask, will this stop all the abortions in Tennessee? No, it won't. But it will drastically reduce that number. It will drastically reduce that number. And you think, well, you say, well, if I can't save them all, I'm not going to try. What if you 
were the one that was saved. I began with that picture. What if you were that child whose mother, because she was supposed to be given informed consent, here's what's going to happen. What if you're the mother who, after being told, you have to wait a little bit of time to make sure you know what you're doing, decides to preserve the life of that child. But you see, really none of that matters unless we have God's Word as the background. We can have a number of things about which you and I can have differing opinions. We can decide if some things are better or worse. But when it comes to the subject of the life of a child, I want you to listen carefully to God's Word because that's what counts. Life begins at conception. That's not an opinion. That's a biblical fact. John the Baptist was a son when he was conceived and when he was born. Luke chapter 1 and verse 36. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who, her who was called barren. You get to verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. It was a son when she conceived it. And it was a son when he was born. That was John the Baptist. He was a babe while he was in the womb. And he was a babe after he was born. Luke 1, 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 44, And for indeed as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. You're talking about John the Baptist as a baby inside of the womb. Perhaps, in my opinion, the greatest of those passages is found in Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Now, folks, did you hear that? You saw, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Here is the child conceived, not even taking a form yet. And in your book they are all written, The days are fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5, the passage that Brother Josh read to us, Jeremiah was formed in the womb, and he says, Before I was born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was Jeremiah in the womb. God views those who harm innocent children either in the womb or out of the womb, and he has views of displeasure. For instance, in the book of Ezekiel, they brought their children to the god Molech, and they sacrificed them. 
He says, Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter that you have slain my children and made them to uh, offer them up by causing them to pass through the fire? God said, You are sacrificing your children for your pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize how many abortions occur because a mother has gone out and she has been a whore? She has been a tramp? And then now she has conceived a child. And what does she do? She takes that child's life. When you go to the Old Testament, Pharaoh ordered the murder of little boys. In chapter 1, verses 16 through 22. It says, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on their birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, you shall let him live. You see, the problem was there was no respect for life. Herod did much like Pharaoh. In Matthew 2 and, 20, or 2 and verse 16 then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he set forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts. You don't like the child. You don't want the child. What do you do? You kill the child, which is what they do in abortion. But you may say, well, those are born children. Those are children who have already come into this world when Amos writes about the cruelty of the Ammonites, he's very specific and he says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead that they might enlarge their territory. They took pregnant women and cut them open to kill their children. To be grossly cruel just so they could enlarge their territory. No different than Planned Parenthood. Abortion's murder. Some people say, oh, but you can't use inflammatory speech like that. But pardon me, that's what the Bible says. In 2 Kings 21 and verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, shedding innocent blood. I'd like for you to tell me, what is more innocent than an unborn child? Psalm 106, verse 37, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. Or you go to Exodus 20, verse 13, very simple. When God spoke to Moses on the mountain, you shall not murder. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. He talks about if men are fighting and they hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows. In other words, she gives, has premature birth. He shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay the judges determined. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. 
If that child was killed in that mother's womb, it's life for life. God expected that it be treated like a human being. And in 1 John 3.15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now very quickly, the proposition that is on the ballot is yes on one, Amendment 1. And I know there's a lot of people who are thinking like this. Oh, the preacher gets up and preaches on that subject. But what can I do? I'm just one person. Maybe I'm an elderly lady. Maybe I'm, I can't get out. I can't go hold a sign on the side of the road. I can't go and deliver a lesson so somebody will hear it. Let me quote Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf. I'm only one. But I'm still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. None of us are in as bad a shape as Helen Keller was. She said, I will do what I can do. Well, what can I do? We need to remember that floods are made up of individual raindrops. As that rain falls that creates that flood that washes away a city, that washes away a town, they come in individual raindrops. As one, I can be an individual raindrop in a flood for good and a flood for truth. Sometimes we don't realize that when I do what I am supposed to do, and even though I'm just one with God, we make a majority. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 10, One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. You stand up for God and your stand will count. Let me just for a moment or two bring up a few people who were one who made some real powerful impact. John chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. There's 5,000 people here. Jesus sees the multitudes. And he sees that they're hungry and he doesn't want to send them away lest they faint while they're on their way. Look what you find. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many? You see, Jesus took those five loaves and those two fish and he fed a multitude with it. That one little boy's lunch. Or consider 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. You remember the Syrian army was very powerful. And there is a man who is a leper by the name of Naaman. And I want you to notice, just it's very easy to skip over this. Now Naaman, a commander of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If my only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, 
And he would heal him of his leprosy. That young lady was responsible for Naaman being cleansed of his leprosy. Even more significant. There's a young Hebrew woman in the court of Ahasuerus. And uh, by chance, not by chance, but by providence, she was brought to the king's harem. Her name was Esther. Esther chapter 4 verse 14. Mordecai says to her, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you know, and your father's, you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther was responsible for saving the Jewish nation. One woman. You go to Hebrews 11 and verse 7, and we read, By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. You read that and you say, well, what, what's the big deal of that? Do you realize every one of us here tonight are descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth? Every one of us. doesn't matter if you're pretty or ugly, white or black, Old or young, you're all a descendant of Shem, Ham, or Japheth. We're here because one man stood strong in the eyes of God. The truth is, this is not a political issue. Yes, it's on our ballot. Yes, you'll be able to go and vote yes on one. But it's a moral issue. It just so happens that we live in a country where we have a voice. And we ought to exercise it. Now let me point out to you, there's some serious consequences if we reject the teaching from God. In Romans 1 and verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. If we say, I'm not going to carry my religion into that ballot box with me. I'm not going to take my morals with me. Then you have already surrendered to a debased mind. And I can assure you that things not fitting will follow. Submission to God means more and means one's values of life here, but more importantly, the life to come. You know, I, I want to preserve every life that I can physically here. But I'm encouraged and exhorted to try to get men to think about their life in the world that is to come. And unless I do what God wants me to do here, I cannot expect to live with Him in eternity. If you're here and you're not a Christian... We want to urge you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. That's not just a simple thing that we say at the end of the lesson. It's actually the Lord's invitation 
to each and every one of us. He's calling us to come to Him. But the reality is that the majority of us here tonight are already Christians. And sometimes we have sins in our lives that need confessing, need to be repented of. This is a great opportunity for us as brothers and sisters to pray for one another and to ask for God's forgiveness. If you need to respond, would you come while we sing?